Relating to Self. A podcast that helps you create a better relationship with yourself. Hey, I'm Joachim. Welcome. Do you realize that there is only one relationship that you will always be in? The relationship with yourself. Improving that relationship changes everything. On this podcast, I share my thoughts and I invite real people to have vulnerable conversations about how they relate to themselves and what we can learn from that. In today's episode, I speak with Richard, for whom relating to self is very much a communal effort. Enjoy. Richard, welcome to the Relating to Self podcast. Mm, thanks so much for having me. So, I know you from Twitter, and you've asked me to introduce you by giving an impression of how I see you on Twitter, which is a really interesting kind of prompt. Thank you for that. So I see you as someone who's very committed to thought and action. Um, mm -hmm. Through your tweets, I kind of get a sense that you are, you care about what you do in a way that few people do. Uh, you have this depth of kind of passion, I would say, almost in the way you express yourself. And you're not afraid to stir up things and to give quite um, clear statements, let's say, about certain things. It's something that I appreciate, that I very much struggle with myself. Um, and then a couple of other tidbits that I've picked up along the way that I think are interesting is uh, you're building communities. I think that's one of the main things that you're into. Uh, one of my interests as well, so that's great. And I've also seen you mention several times this idea of lineage, which is something mm -hmm. that maybe we could explore when it comes to relating to yourself. And also the idea of returning to a form of Christianity, or at least the the myths that are present in Christianity as a basis for, for what you're doing. So that's kind of how I see you. Mm -hmm. That's cool. It's very, it makes me feel warm to hear that. Um, this thing about speaking clearly as in what I'm reading between the lines of what you're saying is that I, I don't mind upsetting people. Um, I'm a very kind and a very considerate person. And I also don't mind upsetting people. In fact, <laughs> I, I often feel that I have almost, it's almost like a duty. It's like a compulsion. It's like, I can see something that doesn't add up you know there's something in your story which just is obviously uh, it's like a prosthetic it's like a crutch or something that you're using to like feel comfortable but it's I, yeah I, I have a kind of magnetism towards these um, points of cognitive dissonance or or like uh, mental allergies that people have and I just can't help but kind of point at them and say you know the emperor has no clothes man like <laughs> let's get real that seems to be um that seems to be pretty hardwired into me. And I think it's related to the other points that you said, like it's about my lineage. It's about where I come from, um, which is being raised in a fundamentalist Christian community where the, the price of belonging was conformity of belief. And so I really tried to do that game of, of adopting the beliefs of all of the people around me so that I could be a member in good standing and I just couldn't do it. And at a certain point, um, at a certain point, I guess I found the courage to be honest with my doubts and say, 
you know, I actually don't believe most of the stuff. Like I've got a lot of room for, I can, I can tolerate it. I can imagine some things like this could be true, but I just don't have the same conviction that apparently everyone else does. And so that experience of like coming out of a funda fundamentalist community, being excommunicated in my early twenties, I think that like, it's very painful. I wouldn't like necessarily recommend it to people, but it's given me a, a kind of orientation to the world about spotting fundamentalism everywhere, you know, spotting uh, by fundamentalism. I mean, there's like uh, a kind of fragile, desperate seeking to have everyone see this, everything the same way. You know, like this, this fear of, of pluralism, this fear of, of diversity, like, oh, if everyone could just see the world my way, then we'd finally be at peace and the, you know, kingdom of heaven would show up on earth or whatever. I don't know. Um, so I'm, when, when you see me on Twitter saying something provocative, it's because I feel like there's just a little, there's a little religious fundamentalism that's sneaking into our community norms. And I'm like, mm, I actually don't believe that thing that you seem to believe so strongly. And I don't think you really believe it either. And that's why you're being so vocal about it. So yeah, it's a, <laughs> it's a peculiar dynamic. I know, but I like it. Yeah. And I, I really appreciate it. I think it's inspiring. Um, there's already lots of things that you were saying that give me a desire to like dig deeper and be curious about it. But I want to come back to the original question that we are here to explore, which is your relationship with yourself. And my first question is always the same. When you hear the words relating to self, what does that mean to you? What comes up for you when you hear that? Um, I have a, a lot of things come up. One of them is like an instinctive rebellion, which is related to that thing I just explained about myself. Um, basically, anytime someone says self, I'm suspicious. Um, so we can talk about uh, a kind of unselfing approach to, to thinking about psychology and, and relationships and so on. Um, but that's not the main thing. That's just like one kind of habit that I have of like, uh. <laughs> um, I think, I think one of the things that comes up, uh, which is a, a practice or a habit that I've been cultivating and I, I haven't fully integrated it, but it's like something I know that bears fruit is kind of noticing when there's a conversation happening in my head between different parts of myself where, where there's like a tone of judgment and dismissal or punishment or criticism or, you know, like it just basically like a negative tone of, um, you're not good enough or like, why did you do it that way? You're such an idiot that, you know, that those kind of, when those stories happen, like noticing, learning to notice, I think it was, the start of the pandemic around then that I really started to notice how common that voice is that, that it comes up at times and then motivates me to take action. And then I, um, it's almost like I, I went on a drunken binge or something. And then I forgot about everything I did last night. It's like, I forgot that that voice exists. It's like, I've got some kind of system for like pretending that voice doesn't exist. Like it motivates me for a second and then it goes in the bottom drawer and we all pretend like we never saw that happen. <laughs> and 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 I've been learning from people, some some friends of mine 
that it's possible to notice when that moment is happening and and just invite a different a different way of relating to myself you know so like um oh i noticed that this is really strong criticism and judgment and dismissal and um attempt to disown parts of myself uh how else how else could i relate to this moment you know like finding that i've got choice there and practicing uh more first just more awareness more neutral awareness like um can i just can i just notice more about what's happening and then after the awareness comes more space for like compassion so so it's it's sort of like the 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 posture the way it feels psychologically is like the first my sort of instinctive behavior or my reflexive behavior is is kind of like a really stressed out pissed off teacher who's dealing with like a classroom full of like really mischievous kids and it's like ah, you know it's just like really not handling the situation very well and then the second one that i'm learning to occupy is more like a very compassionate very gentle i think of a kindergarten teacher because it's like um someone who's really dealing with a, a small kid you know like a toddler three or four year old and and knows how to like yeah this toddler is distressed and knows how to like drop down on their knees or like squatting on the squatting down and get on the same eye level with the toddler and say hey like i'm with you like i get this is really distressing and you're freaking out and i understand why like it's cool and then from that place of connection to be able to like um accompany myself out of the distress into a like more expansive more mature more um awake you know more agentic place to be that's not so caught up in the like tantrum of being a toddler but it's like wow okay yeah oh yeah, my friends are here and like i've got great opportunities and it's sunny outside and wow there's a dog and you know like come back into that into that more creative curious state of mind beautiful thank you for sharing i had to smile because i often refer to my collection of inner parts as my kindergarten as well so that kind of feels feels very related uh <laughs> furtherly like i don't see myself as a kindergarten teacher though that that's probably like my nightmare job or something mm. but mm. i just see myself as like you know the mature adult talking to this collection of my inner toddlers yeah but i want to i want to dig a bit deeper into what you actually started with um mm maybe because that feels less familiar to me than what you shared mm. about your practice that feels like mm. quite logical and and aligned with what i do myself but this rebellious instinct that you have right about regarding anything that relates to the self as suspicious then you use this word unselfing and i'm just very curious about that what could you tell mm. us more about unselfing mm. um yeah it's not like super clear in my head i guess like i said it's more of an impulse um so it'll be fun to think it out loud with you um i think i first of all i'm not trying to make some objective claim about how the world is it's more that i'm responding to something that i feel is out of balance in the conversations that are happening around me and so it's like there's a missing ingredient in the conversation and so here i am bringing it not to say 
this is the only side, but like that I've got an important part of the of the balance that's that's out of alignment at the moment. Um it it seems like conversations around personal development and psychology, spirituality, maturity, all these things um have in the in the fields that I'm involved in, they seem to have a real focus on on considering the individual. Um, like for example, most meditation practices are really geared around this kind of inner experience that happens without really without relating to anyone. Maybe you're relating to the parts of yourself, but you're not you're not like an, an interactive relationship with other people around you. It's a it's a really solo practice. And, and my concern with that, like, obviously there's some important things that there's a reason that that exists, you know, it's not wrong. It's just that given that we, most of us have been raised in a context of very individualistic culture, it can, it can can kind of conspire to form, I think it can kind of prime people to think in the wrong way. (laughs) Well, not in the wrong way, but like think in a way that's like not as helpful as it could be. To, to to look for like i just need to install enough upgrades to my personal operating system and then i'll find acceptance and purpose and i'll be good at relationships and i'll have a purpose and like i think that is a really dangerous way of thinking i think it was something like that which really squandered the human potential movement in the late 60s and 70s and so on like that that there's a kind of a quest for we could be better people. And if you focus all of that energy on doing something interior, solo, disconnected from others, like you're really taking the long way around. You're really doing it the hard way. And I see it like all around me, uh, how many opportunities there are for growth and development that, that happen effortlessly in good company or you can put a huge amount of effort and make a tiny amount of progress on your own. So like the easiest example I have is about courage that I think we're living in a period of, of human history where we are once again, being called to courage and courage is extremely easy to access in the right company when you're with people who are encouraging like that's why it's called encouragement it's coming from someone else and they're encouraging you like there's, there's a kind of um we can be like sponges that soak it up from the people who are around us that give us that sense of confidence and and willingness to persist without the promise of a positive outcome to do the hard thing to do the brave thing we do that in company and if you try and cultivate courage on your own like that just it breaks my heart to imagine that you know it just seems like such a difficult path and maybe there's some fruits there that i'm i'm overlooking about what could happen by doing that by yourself but it just seems like such a it's kind of like trying to build a habitat on mars or something like maybe we can do it but seems like really doing things the hard way around yeah i hear you i want to interject saying that it is a hard path. It is the path that I have walked. Mm. <laughs> and I mean, I, I don't regret it in the sense that this was the path that was available to me. Right. Mm. I think there's one important thing. And in general, I think I agree with you, but there's one important thing in what you said, which is that it becomes effortless in good company. 
And I guess what I want to say is something like good company is a privilege that not all of us have when starting out in, in like you know, life, community life or, or society, what that, what that looks like. Um, so I'm really curious how you see the potential there for yourself and others, maybe who are listening to this podcast to find that good company or create the good company. Like what are the steps we can take to surround ourselves with the right people who then can lead to this encouragement that you speak of? Mm -hmm. There's another piece of this that I, I haven't, I don't know how to articulate very clearly yet. Um, like I think it's becoming increasingly common. People understand co-regulation that like if I'm distressed and you're calm and we trust each other and we have some kind of, you know, like, especially if we're in the same room and like you could put your hand on my shoulder or like that my nervous system can co-regulate off yours and kind of remember how to be, how to be calm again, how to like, Oh yeah, my voice is dropping. My heart rate's dropping. Like people are kind of getting how that works. Um, and I just take that concept of co-regulation and extend it further that it's not just about calming you down when you're stressed out. It's about basically everything about who you are is just picking up on the signals that the people around you are broadcasting and syncing up with them or bouncing off them and, and, and taking the polar opposite of them. Um, and occasionally making small mutations around what you see, but mostly we're just like, we're these funny organisms that are, that are just mimicking the things that we see around us, mostly subconsciously and making these occasional mutations to what we see, but mostly just mimicking and looping round and round and round again. So that it's like, yeah, the locus of agency is really not so much inside me. It's more in the, the network of the four or five most close relationships that I have around me. Like that's where most of the action is. And so like, how do we, I think, I think that's a, a way of thinking, which really, it prioritizes the mammal part of us. Mm. Like that's what it means to be a mammal. And if you think, like I said about the, the toddlers, if you think instead about puppies, you know, um, or dolphins, or I don't know, like if you think about what mammals are like, they're incredibly cuddly, mostly, <laughs> you know, they're, 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 they're like very affectionate. They're really like always uh, on top of each other and like kind of bumbling. <laughs> There's a few solo creatures, but not that many of them. Mostly they're like quite, um, quite social. And, and so I'm, I'm calling that in to say, we have a great inheritance. We have like, a huge either it's evolution or a god did it and either way like it's amazing that we have got this inheritance that helps us we have discernment about who to spend time with and and we can actually nurture that discernment and and kind of train it and sharpen it so that it it guides us to be with people that really support our development and we when we're born we don't get a choice about who which family we're born into um, but then it's like as soon as we become teenagers i think we start constructing our own family of choice and we can progressively get better and better at that at understanding like what is it that what is it that i need and who's trustworthy like how do i spot a trustworthy person 
And I think if we know that that's what the job is, we can get quite good at it without without a huge amount of work. It's just that most people don't know that we're supposed to be cultivating this discernment uh, to to evaluate whether or not someone's trustworthy and like how to. It's it's not like an evaluation of like a black and white list of like you're the good one and you're the bad one. It's like how do we start an encounter and then make a small risk and and escalate the investment slightly and then say oh that went well. So it's safe to do another step forward and another step forward. Um, yeah, I think there's a whole bunch of skills there around cultivating trust. Uh, that that's what leads to good company. Hmm. Yeah, I I hear you. I love the part about our mammals that resonates so much. I also think that my own perspective of like, you know, coming from this relating to self was partly informed by the idea that I did not know. I didn't, I didn't have that discernment that you speak of. And I think there, again, I'm just speaking from my perspective is like being traumatized in the way that I was traumatized. I was actively surrounding myself with more of the same people who were toxic to me because that was what I was used to. That was what I thought healthy relationships looked like. And it, it took me many years of then relating to myself better to like mm. basically learning to, to listen to an inner voice that, that wasn't violent to myself before I was then able to create that discernment to, to find the people to surround myself with. So I think you're right. And for me, there's this like key basis of like healthy relating to self that is needed to have that discernment and to then be able to step into that beautiful, you know, co-regulation, uh, co-creation of, of a community. Hmm. I mean, I, I, I don't want to make it sound easy. I say we have this amazing <laughs> inheritance. Like we do have, we do have a lot on our side. Uh, I think I was like 27 26 maybe before I really really got into the positive feedback loop of of selecting the right people to be with um and the, the positive feedback loop had a, a very rapidly accelerating payoff um it, 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 it was like there was the period for my first 21 years where I was in the church community and then I left that and then I was five or six years where I was just adrift and didn't know how to choose who are my companions and selected for, like you're saying, selected people that, I mean, I'm grateful for the time that we had together, but, um, a lot of the, a lot of the people that I was spending time with in that period were really basically really dark. You know, I don't know how to describe it. Like people that had a lot of grief, a lot of, uh, nihilism, a lot of despair and, at least they were like kind of metabolizing that in some ways. Like um, a lot of the people I'm thinking of are like in the punk music scene, for example. So there's like kind of, kind of an outlet and expression for it, but it was very imbalanced. Like it was lacking a kind of positive balance to that. Like how do you, okay, yes, there's grief and despair and it's good to be able to, um, you know, metabolize that. But what about all the other parts of life? I didn't, I didn't find people like that until I was about 26 or seven. And then, and then, found people that were tender enough to say like, 
actually, I don't, I don't appreciate your sarcastic humor. That hurts me. And if you want to be my friend, you can't, you can't joke around that way. Like it just doesn't work for me. Um, and that was a real shock, you know, like I was a very sarcastic person, very ironic. It's a very ironic, but I try to be less, um, <laughs> spicy with hurting people. <laughs> um, yeah, that it was kind of a fluke in a way to find people that, that held a different standard. But once I, once I got the first taste of it, like I say, it rapidly accelerated towards, um, yeah, a, a really tremendous source of energy. And, and, and that's what you're hearing on Twitter. I think like this passion that you describe is like, I'm really charged up by being supported by fantastic people all over the world. Yeah, that resonates. I like that. I love that you also said that it was a fluke in some ways. Um, I, I have a similar feeling, you know, about my mm -hmm. evolution in that. Um, but I guess you could also describe it as something like starting to recognize who these people are. Because from my perspective now, I somehow believe that most probably these people were always around. I just wasn't able to connect with them or I didn't see them. Right. Yeah. So yeah, it's a fluke, but it's also just a development of who you are and, and who you learn to see around you. I'm, I'm curious, like when you think of yourself now, where you are at, um, framing your relationship with yourself in terms of like these four or five people closest to you. How do you cultivate those relationships? The first thing that comes to mind um, is again, it's a kind of developmental stage thing. It's like a, it's like a, a switch that went off at a certain point that um that once i cross that threshold there's kind of no going back which is to make the relationship itself an object of our curiosity that that the way that we are communicating with each other like i gave that example of like don't be so sarcastic with me they, that that we don't just take our relationship for granted like oh you're this and I'm a that, you know, you're a three and I'm a four. So if we multiply each other, we get a 12. Like, no, it's not, it's not set in stone like that. Um, we have all kinds of potentials and, and, you know, when you think about the self as, as a community of parts, I've got a community of parts and you've got a community of parts and we can actually go through a kind of negotiation or a, something more creative and playful than that um, to see which parts of ourselves meet each other really well. You know, it's like, oh yeah. Okay. So you're, really assertive, cynical, ironic side. <laughs> Those parts don't really gel with me at all. They really shut me down. Um, but your musical playful parts, oh great. I know how to, I know how to connect with you there. Um, so, so this ability to step outside of the relational dynamic and look at it and say, hmm, there's something here that's that's tense or dissatisfying or like is gradually causing me to withdraw um can we can we try some adjustments and see if there's a different way to relate and see if that brings us closer into connection like finding people who are up for that that's where the upward spiral comes from it's not like the upward spiral is not selecting the most brilliant bodhisattvas in the world and and then just excluding everyone else so it's like learning how to meet someone and 
take that relationship on a journey of of continuous self-improvement so that it's like um that the relationship itself is growing under our care yeah i couldn't agree more i think that's really beautifully put thank you there's this idea of um being met with compassion also right like i feel there's something so graceful in being able to express a part of myself that is hurting or hard or difficult and then being met in that with compassion by someone and i think part of my own journey in that is that i kind of didn't allow myself to express those parts so then i had the feeling that i was never met with compassion which kind of makes sense and then learning to 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 have that vulnerability and and speak up and then noticing that the world was a lot kinder than i had imagined was was nice mm. Mm. yeah yeah it's almost like um you know those old 3d films and you put the lenses on and suddenly the film is in 3d and you take it off and it's not <laughs> it's like when you learn to see in a certain way suddenly there's a lot more sweetness than i had previously thought um i'm slightly distracted because you said graceful and and i wonder what what grace means to you and what graceful means to you hmm thank you for asking i use that word as a kind of like it's it's a it's a feeling i want to embody in a word and the feeling is something that is like something like an effortless flow like this like it's elegant almost it's it is kind of like it's sweet and beautiful and flowing and it feels easy and welcoming something like that mhm mm mhm mm um do you have any sense of how that connects with like a christian idea of grace because in my head those are quite different things interesting um no not really i'm i'm not well versed in christianity so mm. yeah please mm. do expand uh, it's it's again it's like a half finished thought that i have that's like just been turning around and around lately for me that that i said we're mammals right and and that there it seems almost it's been it's it's been useful to me lately to think about that i have my animal side and my human side and um and that actually a lot of trouble comes to me when when they get out of balance and i try and i try and apply human methods to animal problems you know like <laughs> um but i think before we started recording you said something about not trying to control too much the outcome but letting things emerge i think that's an animal way of being i think mindfulness is an animal way of being you know like i think most animals are 100% mindful and they're in this expanded awareness all of the time they don't have collapsed awareness they don't have this like fixated neurotic perhaps there's some neurotic um animals the ones that spend too much time with humans but i think most of them are in this like <laughs> expanded awareness where they're like they're not distracted by self awareness they're not distracted by self critical oh what are people thinking about me and if i go and follow this bug what does that say about who i might be like they're just following the bug you know by instinct and and i i have the sense that um when you said like effortless as a as a way to describe grateful uh, graceful sorry i think that animal instinct is is grace like it is the effortlessness it is the like the way that a um 
oh, there's some herons nesting outside the wall here um, and seeing the way that they fly in and out of their roost is like unbelievably graceful. You know, it's like, wow, that's just, I could spend all day just watching that. There's, there's, there's such a, a sublime quality to that. Um, and how that relates to the God stuff, that the, the, the animal is not distracted by these self-conscious thoughts and is just participating in the web of instinct. And, and I think that's kind of what, like the Christianity of my tradition, and I'm guessing probably other religious traditions as well, this kind of spiritual traditions are, are trying to get at with these concepts of like grace and faith. It's that kind of trust that you can, you don't have to control everything. It's not up to you to like, make meaning out of the world and, 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 and right all the wrongs and straighten things out and, and make sure that you are safe and taken care of. Like you can actually rely on a kind of unconscious web of instinct like that you can rely on. Uh, it's, yeah, it's very hard for me to describe it. There's, it's almost like a magnetic field that runs through the cosmos and you can just allow yourself to be pulled by it. You know, you don't, that actually you can grasp too tightly onto your human agency and think that you're, it's up to you to like manipulate everything to get it right. And there's a kind of surrender that if you can surrender, then then you'll just be pulled by the currents in a, in a direction that's good for you and good for others. Yeah, the, the word surrender was came to my mind as well, and I use that word a lot um, mm. for myself in my own practice. What you're speaking to now sounds very related to some of the thoughts I've been having around perhaps what I would call the illusion of free will. Um, this This idea that maybe a lot of the things that we do, that we tend to believe that we have control over, are actually kind of just emerging happening instinctual you know whatever you want to call it and then we make up stories in hindsight about you know why we did that or something like that and i'm trying to lean into that more for myself also in my own behavior to kind of very consciously even i have this practice now when i wake up in the morning i kind of stay in bed and i allow myself to just stay there as long as I don't feel any particular impulse for anything. And then whenever an impulse comes, I just follow it. Right. And mm -hmm. it's not like I've consciously decided to, to now do this thing. It's like, no, I'm just waiting for something to emerge. And it's been very interesting because sometimes it just comes effortlessly <laughs> and it just happens. And then sometimes also nothing happens. And at some point I just decide, okay, enough with the practice. I, I will just do something. So, yeah, that was interesting. But I want to ask you a question about something you said earlier also, if you don't mind. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. That was the way you described this um, connecting with people through the different community of parts that you each have. And then maybe seeing, you know, all oh, these parts don't gel well, but we can connect to these other parts. I think that's really beautiful, this idea of like the self as a village almost. But I think it also necessitates a certain non-attachment to ego to be able to pull it off i think if people are too entangled with with their own sense of self like you know this is who i am and i need to defend this part you know oh this part mm -hmm. doesn't gel with you but i'm gonna defend it so then it creates this kind of like tension field i feel so i'm i'm curious how you relate to ego or whatever that means to you and mm -hmm. how you have come to to hold this ego story more lightly 
Hmm. One of the very sweet uh, compliments I got that really landed for me was um, I was hosting a gathering for like 40 people um, for a week, you know, like a big, quite a big undertaking. And someone, their feedback to me at the end was that they felt that I, that I, I kind of took the time and the almost emotional spaciousness to re genuinely meet that individual where they were and, and to like tune in with them and to, to vibe with them, you know, like to really meet you and to empathize. Um, and, and to bring them into the group in a gradual way, like not to, as opposed to like other, they were, they were making a contrast with other kinds of event organizers who would be more broadcast, more like, I'm going to stand in the middle of the room and go, bah, I'm so excited that you're here. We're going to have a great time. You know, like trying to, trying to pump enthusiasm to everyone simultaneously. Um, so I think that's part of it. Like my analogy of the kindergarten teacher, it's really, it's one, it's a one-on-one -on -one contact that needs to happen. Um, and I don't want to, yeah, I don't want to make it sound like I'm really good at this. I'm like, there's specific contexts where I can do it well. Uh, I'm not always like this, but to be able to occupy that seat of curiosity and, and just to, to not be attached to the outcome, but just to meet someone and, and really wonder, you know, what is it like to be you at the moment? And can you reveal some of that to me? And is there any spark of curiosity that comes up in me as, as a result? Like, is there a feedback loop of like, oh, tell me more, that's so cool. And um, yeah, when I, when I can meet people in that way, it's not really important what they think of me, you know? Again, it's this like self-consciousness kind of slips, slips away a little bit. Um, I think it's related to my experience of like being excommunicated and kind of like deconverting from Christianity that, that I felt everyone was kind of like pushing their reality onto me. And, and so I'm, I'm quite cautious about pushing my reality onto other people. Sometimes I do it and I don't mean to, but um, I really try to take care of, of people in all of their queer, unique, weird, the things, the, the special needs that they have, I try and honor them. And, and, um, and I'm drawn to these like sort of tender misfits and, <laughs> and they're earning their trust is really rewarding, you know, um, I, because I, I feel like we mutually allow each other to just like be who we are as we are. And, and again, that that's, quite an egoless state to be in, you know. Um, there's another piece of this though about ego, which is like, I have a, a large Twitter audience and that that didn't happen by accident, you know, like that that happened because I put energy into like drawing attention towards myself. So that's kind of like an egoish thing to do. Um, it's a kind of self-serving impulse in a way, or it's like, a lot of like a lot of people that I respect go really the opposite direction. They really try and minimize the amount of attention that's coming towards them. Um, so in a, in a way, I, I notice this impulse in me that I want to be the center of attention, and I relate to that like as kind of a joke. 
I guess, or like it's funny and uh, it's a, it's a, it's a peculiar energy source. Like, Oh, it seems there are parts of me that really just want everyone to look at him. And, and when, when, the, when everyone is looking, I like kind of turn on the peacock feathers and I can do impressive things and like, okay, that's funny. Um, try and use that and, and just keep it in its proper place, you know, and like not, um, not buy into the myth that that means that I'm special and that I deserve to be somehow set, set apart from other people or anything like that. But just think, hmm, seems like that's a real deep motivator for me. Um, how can I, how can I attach? I feel like I'm like trying to weld together this desire for attention with a, yeah, like a genuine, a high standard of character and values and, and integrity and say like, yeah, I want to be famous so long as I'm famous for having this like very strong commitment to a set of values, which are really good for people. I don't want to be famous for being greedy or like <laughs> dismissive or dominating or, you know, like uh, I, I want to be famous for, for embodying something that's worth, that's worth paying attention to. That's worth emulating. Yeah, <laughs> I hear you. Um, I struggle with that. That's like one of my pain points, I guess. I'm very much the opposite, right? I try mm. to like keep out of the spotlight. Um, and the the point being is like, you know, if you want to communicate something important to people like me on this podcast, you need to have an audience. You need to in some way, you know, market yourself, whatever that means. And I guess for someone like me, who's who's not so driven by being the center of the attention, uh, that becomes more difficult. So I think you're you have an advantage in this sense, you know, and you seem to be able to use that as a tool to your benefit and to the benefit of the people who then follow you, which I think is great. That's, that's the best we can strive for, right? Like take everything that is true for us. And I think, mm -hmm. well, what I hear also is that you don't judge yourself for this desire to be the center of the attention. And I think that's the most important part. I think it doesn't matter what our desires really are, as long as we honor them and, you know, we don't judge them and then learning to use them as tools for, goals that we value, I think is the best thing we can strive for. So yeah, I applaud that, I would say. Thanks. It's a lot of fun. <laughs> it's really, <laughs> it's really cool. <laughs> yeah, I'm going to, I'm going to try to step more into that kind of mindset and see, see how it goes. Um, maybe Richard, it's useful. Oh. Maybe it's useful to think about it. Like, um, you know, imagine that you inherited a, a huge amount of wealth and you might have um, a complaint about capitalism or like the way economics works, but suddenly you find yourself with these like billions of dollars to allocate and you're like, okay, well, how do I use this um, to do some good? And, and I, and I think of attention as, I mean, basically what I'm doing is accumulating a huge amount of social capital. There's like thousands of people around the world that want to do me a favor. Um, and so like, okay, I've got this massive stockpile of social capital. How do I, how do I deploy that in a way that's pro-social? Like, how do I, how do I socialize or like do a more like communist uh, allocation of this, this weird resource, this weird, powerful resource that I've got access to? Like, how do I use that for something that's not just serving my own acquisitive needs? Yeah, that's beautiful. I like that question. Before we end this conversation, because I do want to be mindful of the time, um, I would like to know if there's anything that's still difficult for you specifically in how you perceive your relationship with yourself. 
Yeah, it's a bit like, um, you know, I said this whole thing about unselfing, like trying to swing the pendulum back in the other direction. Um, the challenge for me is is the is the opposite end of that pendulum. It's like I I really have a hard time being by myself. I have a hard time introspecting. I don't like to be quiet. I don't like solitude. Um, and and that feels like um, it just it just feels like a part of myself that's not um, that's still growing. You know that, it, that it's actually like um, not just that it's still growing, but that it's it's quite immature in some respects. You know, there's 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 something. Basically, like if I have to be by myself for a period of time, I'll be working or I'll listen to a podcast or I'll play like a puzzle game or like I'll just keep myself occupied, um, preferably with sounds happening uh, to like to like give me a sense of safety. And, and when those things fall away, uh, I'm usually pretty close to panic. And that just that just feels like, okay, I can be patient with that and and accepting of that. And yeah, I think there's something to look at there. Mm. Yeah, it's so fascinating to hear that what's difficult for you is what's easy for me. That's kind of like <laughs> that's what I go for. Like whenever something happens, like ooh, I, you know, I retreat, I sit in solitude, and then everything becomes better again. I'm I'm curious if I may ask, like. Mm what is it that happens when you actually sit in solitude and you don't numb yourself with, you know, work or distractions? What is the experience like? What is it about it that you don't like? I also want to include meditating in that, in that list of distractions, by the yeah. way, like <laughs> I've had a great time at, at meditation retreats, um, but that's not solitude. Uh, that's doing something. Um, what happens? Yeah, again, the image that's coming to mind is it's somewhere between like a toddler and um, and a, like a distressed animal. Just like uh, even asking the question internally is kind of like getting a rebellion in response. Like um, just this real, real, real terrified uh, kind of lashing out. Uh, even trying to imagine that scenario is like quite scary. Yeah, I hear you. I I can I can see how that works. Like I can imagine the animal. I, I guess just being a mammal cut off from from the pack from the tribe is basically a death sentence, right? That's kind of like, yeah. Beautiful. Thank you for your honest response, Richard. Um, one last question: Is there any question that you would have loved to answer but that I didn't mm. ask you? There's something about something about optimism. Like I, I feel like I'm in the top one percent of optimistic people in the world, <laughs> um, and I want to know more about that. So maybe you could ask me about that. 
that's beautiful that's the, i think that's one of the best prompts i've ever gotten from that question because it's so it's so like vague and, and interesting and mysterious i'm like wait what does that mean um that's cool i think i count myself in that top one percent of optimistic mm. people as well so that's nice nice oh that's great I, i've never told well, tell me no tell me about you tell me about you instead tell me about you so tell me like i feel like i'm surrounded by people who are really freaking out like really freaking out they're in a state of panic and distress uh i feel like all around me the people having a bad trip they're like just they had some bad acid and they're like and they're all doing it to each other and like oh i see you're freaking out so i should freak. it just feels like there's like mass panic around me and and i'm like dude taste the blueberry you know i look at the heron like i'm saying like there's so like it's it's everywhere reasons to be delighted even even when the bombs are falling there's still reasons to be delighted so like um yeah i'm curious to know your relationship to optimism tell me about that mm. Yeah, well, first, I want to preface that by saying that I used to be one of those people who was freaking out, right? Because, well, it ain't hard, to be honest, to find things in the world to freak out about, right? It's, it's very easy, especially in a, in a culture that uses its mass media to, to kind of communicate about things that trigger people. That's kind of like what you see, right? Like watching the news is just one giant trigger show. And for some reason, people like that. Like people want to be to be triggered somehow. It's very strange. And I was in that kind of dynamic myself for quite a long time. And so I was absorbing, like also like books and, and studies and things that that would corroborate my bias for being able to say like, look, things are shitty. You know, <laughs> it's like we should panic. Um, but then, well, I mean. I can't say that anything specific happened. I think this is just a result of my practice and my healing and all of that. Now I'm very much on the side of taste the blueberry, you know, just like taste the fucking blueberry. That's just so amazing. And it comes for me, like the, the difference, the biggest difference for me comes from a relaxation of like the, the bigger goal or the bigger value. Simply put, I don't think I care much about the human race continuing to exist in all eternity, something like that. It's like, Hey, we're, we're here. We're having a good run. You know, it's interesting. It's nice. We're going to disappear at some point. Right. And I think this is very closely related to a kind of acceptance of mortality for, for myself. I think accepting my own mortality, working with that has been a, very huge source of relaxation in myself. And I think something is happening like that also culturally, like on a bigger scale, you know, these cultural dynamics, I'm not so afraid of cultures disappearing or empires disappearing or even the human race disappearing perhaps. So yeah, that makes me very optimistic about mm. life being now and life being here and the capacity of people to create beauty and to, to notice beauty in others and, to share things together. Like that's just magical. And that's kind of what I'm doing. Mm, yeah. That's very sweet. It, it sounds like, um, what I'm getting from that is maybe the, the panic, like you say, it's tied up with, it's, it's, it's this like fear of mortality and that maybe 
Yeah, maybe there are there are personal practices to do to be, to be a little bit less freaked out about your own death that then kind of translate to like, ah, nobody gets out alive. Like <laughs> if our success criteria is everyone lives for all time without suffering, like we're all going to fail. Like, yeah, we should freak out. <laughs> yeah, I, I agree. It's interesting. I'm curious if you could like maybe spend a couple of minutes to tell me about your optimism. Hmm. Is it similar or is it completely different? Like what's the nature of that? I mean, I think it is a little bit like, um, you know, the band playing while the Titanic's sinking. Like, yeah, it's a tragedy. And it's not just a like random act of nature. It's like, that was kind of the result of hubris and corruption. And like, people should be punished and held to account for that. And like, a lot of people died for no good reason. Like you can totally go down that whole track about like pursuing justice and, and making it right and so on. And, and there were some musicians that had the, the presence of mind or the, the, the attitude or the orientation towards like, look, this is, this is like a, a little mini apocalypse that's happening around us and we're going to make beauty. And, and that like, yeah, I think those opportunities are always there. Like I said about the bombs falling, like, in the worst possible scenario, still, still two little siblings are going to like reach for each other and you know that, that the impulse to, to care for each other is, is, it's so blindingly radiant, you know, it's like so sweet that everything else feels like kind of details, you know, like that, that it's like, it's like texture that comes into the story that gives us some, some corners for the plot. Um, but this, this, this thing about compassion, there's more to it than that, but that's a lot of it. Just this like the impulse that people have to take care for each other, uh, is staggering. It's completely staggering. And, and like, for some reason I, I'm attentive to that. I don't know why, but, um, I feel like I got plugged into that and, it really, it really modulates the fear and the anxiety. It's like, it's, 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 it's going to be fine. Like even in the worst, in the worst case, it's, it's still, still kind of good. <laughs> like there is something when we could have had nothing, we could have, there could have been a nothing and there's a something. And that is reason enough, I think, to be pretty fucking blown away. What a beautiful way to end this conversation. Richard, thank you so much. It was lovely to talk to you. One more thing before we part, uh, and that is where can people find you? And I think I know the answer to that one, but I'm going to let you say it. <laughs> yeah, if you're on Twitter, um, my handle is Rich Decibels. And I will be delighted to hang out with you there if you want to make friends on Twitter. And if you're not really into Twitter, then I would say go to my website, richdecibels.com. And you'll see I've got a newsletter and blah, 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 these things there that you can follow up more. Um, yeah, we didn't really talk about my professional accomplishments and so on, which is really refreshing. So if you want to learn more about my bio and the work that I do and like how I can support you and how you can pay me to do things, go to richdesibuzz.com. Wonderful. I will make sure to post both your 
Twitter handle and your website in the show notes so that people can find you. And I'll post this whole thing on Twitter as well. So, Richard, have a beautiful continuation of your day and mm. see you on Twitter. <laughs> Thanks so much. Ciao. If you've enjoyed this conversation, please subscribe to the podcast. You can also read more of my thoughts on Twitter. I will post a link in the description. And if you are interested in improving your relationship with yourself, please subscribe to my email list at relatingtoself.com. I will then send you meditations, rituals, practices, and more of these beautiful conversations. Thanks. Thanks.